Let's turn now to this passage of God's holy word. You've been meditating already for a little season in the book of Haggai, the Lord's messenger, or the Lord's angel. It's the same word, the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. And that will give you guidance when you're praying for Mr. Higginson. It's a desire of his heart, the intention, too, with which he comes to the house of God, that he might always be the Lord's messenger, and then wrapped up entirely in the Lord's message. We're reading chapter 2 now. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it? There's nothing. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong. All ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Praise the Lord for that. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace saith the Lord of hosts. Praise the Lord for his holy word, even this day, the reading of it and the preaching of it too, in the Savior's name. Amen. Let's turn, please, again in God's precious word to the little prophecy of Haggai. Again, Haggai chapter 2. You'll find our text this morning in verse number 4 of that second chapter. And I want to speak this morning simply upon stimulants, 
for Christian workers. Stimulants for Christian workers. Let's hear the Word of God again. Haggai 2 and verse number 4. And yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Let's unite our hearts and call upon the name of our God. Let's pray. Loving God and everlasting Father, we thank Thee for the promise of God that Thou art ever with us. We thank Thee that we're two or even three are met together in the Savior's name. He has promised that right there He is in the midst of His people. And we pray that You will make us to be conscious that Thou art here. We pray that we will hear the still, small voice of God speaking into our hearts. We pray that our souls might be stirred and our hearts warmed as the Lord draws near. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. And we thank thee that thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. And so, Lord, we still ourselves before thee. We submit ourselves to thyself. We come, as it were, under the authority of God's word. And we pray that you will come and stir up our hearts, even as you stirred the heart of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people in the days of Haggai. Stir our hearts this morning, and may we leave this place with a soul on fire for God. Hear and answer prayer and grant the enablement and the help and the anointing that only the Spirit of God can give. We pray in Jesus' name and for God's eternal glory alone. Amen. We have been looking very briefly at this little prophecy of Haggai over the last two or three weeks. The children of Israel have returned from their captivity in Babylon. The promise of God has been fulfilled. They're back again in their own land. They have commenced the building of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls under Ezra and Nehemiah. And yet discouragement has set in. And so God raises up Haggai, this great prophet of God. And not much is known about Haggai, but he certainly was a man with a message, the Lord's messenger with the Lord's message. And Haggai's prophecy is very much unique in that it was met with immediate success. Within just a few weeks of Haggai commencing to preach to the people, the Spirit of God moved within just three short weeks. Great things were being accomplished under the ministry of God's servant. His ministry was necessary because disillusionment, disappointment, discouragement, despondency, and delay were all the order of the day. And many people were procrastinating. Others were pessimistic. Others were pursuing pleasures. Others had a conflict of priorities. And so God raised up Haggai to stir the people again to live for God's glory and to live in light of eternity and to arise and build and go on and go through with God. The reality is, in Haggai's day and in our day as well, if we're absolutely honest, that God's work is never, never easy. I don't think God's work has ever been easy. 
But certainly in these days that we're living in, God's work is difficult, perhaps most primarily because of the spirit of the age. And not so much the spirit of the age as it affects society, but God's work is difficult now because of how the spirit of the age has influenced and infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. Many Christians are either overwhelmed by the spirit of the age or intimidated by the spirit of the age. And sadly, others are influenced and carried along to some degree or other by the spirit of the age. We are living in a day when in the evangelical church it seems that the culture is more influential than the cross. Society is more influential than the spirit. The world is more influential than the word. And the flesh is often more influential than faith. For many, popularity is more desirable than purity. And secularism is more beneficial than spirituality. And Haggai saw many of these things in the work of God in his day and generation. And so Haggai looked at the work of God. He got before the Lord and sought a word from the Lord, brought that word to the people, and saw a great need for things to change. And Haggai believed that things will only change whenever God's people take God's word and take God's work seriously. And so by way of encouragement, Haggai was a great encourager. He didn't just stand and offer scathing rebukes. He didn't belittle the people of God and make them feel useless and unwanted and unworthy. Rather, Haggai, yes, highlighted some of the great needs, but he also sought to encourage God's people to really get involved in something that would last for generations and would also influence and impact the great eternity. In the first chapter, verse number 14, the Spirit of the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people. And then in chapter 2 and verse number 4, Joshua speaks to the very people whom the Lord has already stirred up. God has prepared their hearts. And in chapter 2 and verse number 4, the Lord speaking through Haggai says, Be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Inspiration, if you like. Stimulus, if you like. And encouragement for Christian workers. I want you just to consider a few very simple uh, things with me, and you'll forgive me this morning if these things are very elementary, but we perhaps need to be reminded of them. You'll notice, first of all, in this fourth verse, you have the command of the Lord. The command of the Lord. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. And be strong, all ye people of the land. Everybody had a place to be in. Everybody had a work to do. Everybody was as important as one another. And so there's this command that goes forth to be strong and also a command to work. Be strong and work. Now, it's not a suggestion. 
It's a commandment. And the Savior said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I think here as we look at the command of the Lord, there's a command to be infilled. Be strong. Now, the strength that is spoken of here, I don't believe is a natural strength. I believe the Lord here is speaking about a supernatural strength. As he spoke through the prophet Zechariah, just, just over in the next book, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 6, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, It's not by might, and it's not by power, but by my Spirit saith the Lord. And so whenever Haggai spoke for the Lord and said, Be strong, O Zerubbabel. He wasn't speaking about human strength or human might or human ability. Because I think if we looked at the work of God and what the Lord wants us to be and how the Lord wants us to live, I don't think there's any of us that could say in and of ourselves, well, I've got the ability, I've got the strength, the resolve, the gift and the talent to live the Christian life and to really serve the Lord. And so Zechariah says, listen, Zerubbabel, it's not by your might and it's not by your power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And whenever God in the Bible calls us to be strong, He's not saying, well, lift yourselves up by your bootstraps, give yourself a shake, look in the mirror and realize that you've got strength within yourself. No, I believe the Lord is calling us to experience and to enjoy the power of the Spirit of God. Whenever the Lord said to the apostles before He ascended up into glory, He said, "'Tarry in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high.'" And then again in Acts 1 verse number 8, He said, "'Ye shall receive power, strength, or might.'" After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then ye shall be witnesses unto me. And the Bible speaks about the infilling of the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, saith the Lord. And that's how we can put on strength, and that's how we can be victorious. Whenever the Spirit of God infills us and God desires and commands His people to be indwelt and infilled, yes, by the Spirit of the living God. Can I ask you today, are you living a Spirit-filled life? Have you submitted yourself entirely to the Lord? Have you come before the Lord as an empty vessel and said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling? But Lord, I come as one that is empty, and I pray that you'll cleanse me, cleanse this vessel, and Lord, fill me with your Spirit, so that I might serve you effectively in this day and in this generation. There's a command, I believe, to be infilled, but there's also a command here to be industrious. God says, be strong, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people of the land. Why does he want them to be strong? because he's got a work for them to do. Be strong and work. God wants us to be infilled so that we can be industrious. The infilling of the Spirit of God in the life of a Christian 
It's not just to produce some exciting experience, but the infilling of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer is to equip that believer to live effectively for God in the midst of a lost and dying world. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, and ye shall receive power. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, but tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. It's never been the plan and purpose of God that his work would be accomplished by human endeavor, by human ability, by human industry and gift and talent and human organization and orchestration. God's plan for his church is that we might enjoy the infilling of the Spirit of God, enjoy fellowship with the Lord, and that God's work can advance as God empowers his people to do it. Friends, there's a great work to be done. Sometimes we look at the spirit of the age and we think, well, there's not much that we can do. But I believe as we look at the world around us, we need to recognize that there's more than ever that we can do. Because never before has our land needed Jesus Christ so much. Never before has there been such a need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never before has there been such a need for people to come under the influence of the word of God. Never before has there been such a need in your community for the light to shine from your life to a lost and perishing world. Have you ever got before the Lord and honestly, like the Apostle Paul, simply prayed, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, is there something that I can do for you? It might be something small, but Lord, is there something that you would have me to do? as there some part of the work that you would want me to be involved in. I believe today, sad to relate, there are more people coming out of God's work than there are going into it. And maybe part of the reason for that is we're not relying fully and completely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the command of the Lord. Consider secondly, the company of the Lord. Be strong be strong, be strong. Three times the Lord says, be strong in verse number four. I wonder, does that have reference to the Trinity of God speaking? The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work for I am with you. Now the Lord had already affirmed that in chapter 1 and verse number 13, then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. God has affirmed it already. And that affirmation is emphatic. That affirmation is absolutely clear. And yet God recognizes the infirmity and perhaps even the unbelief of the people so what he has already said in chapter 1, verse 13, he reaffirms in chapter 2 and verse number 4, I am with you, saith the Lord. I'm not just with Zerubbabel, and I'm not just with Joshua, but I'm with all the people that own and bless my name. Isn't it lovely that the Lord reminds us oftentimes that he's with us? You know, in our heart of hearts, we know that the Lord is with us. 
But sometimes it's nice just to hear it again. In our heart of hearts, maybe we think of our parents. And we know that they love us. But sometimes it's nice just to hear it. I love you. Sometimes we think of our children and we, we know that they love us. But sometimes it's nice just to hear those words, I love you. We know that our husbands, our wives, our spouses, our families, we know in our heart of hearts that they love us. But there's something about somebody coming and reaffirming that and speaking the word and saying, I'm with you. I'm behind you. I'm supporting you. I'm there for you. And I love you. There's something about just hearing the words. Even though we know it in our hearts, there's something about hearing those words again that just brings a freshness and encouragement to your hearts. And here the Lord maybe is saying to you again this morning, listen, you know it to be true, but I'm saying it again just now. I am with you. Are those beautiful words? I am with you. Think about the first two words, I am. Whenever Moses was going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, what did the Lord say to him? Whenever Moses said, well, who should I say has sent me? And God says, I am that I am. I am the eternal God, the everlasting God, Jehovah. I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Savior said, before Abraham was, I am. And the great I am is with you. It's not just that God is saying, I'm with you. The great I am, the eternal God, is saying, I am with you personally as an individual. And before the Savior gave the great commission to his followers, the disciples and the apostles, he assured them that his presence would go with them. And then he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 28 and verse number 20, words that David Livingstone hung his hat upon, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. What a promise. It's the word of a gentleman. God says to you today, be strong and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Elementary truths. But truths that we need to be reminded of and stand upon again and again and again. And whenever you have the Lord with you, I tell you, you're in good company. Because in His presence there's fullness of joy. And at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. But are you conscious of it today? In your life, do you take time every day to be still and to know that I am God and spend time alone with the Lord and enter into a new day and just have that assurance? I know that God is with me. You've got the command of the Lord. You've got the company of the Lord. Verse number five, you've got the comfort of the Lord. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. There's the comfort of the Lord. My spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Often whenever we think about the person and the work 
of the Holy Spirit of God, we think in terms of His bestowing of power, His producing fruit in our lives, His leading, His guidance, His gifts. But how often, whenever we think about the Holy Ghost, do we think about the comfort that the Spirit of God brings? This is one of the great truths that the Lord impressed upon the apostles as they were gathered together before the Lord went to the cross. You've got those beautiful words spoken, as it were, in the inner sanctuary. Chapter 14 of John's Gospel through to the end of chapter 16. Then the Lord's great prayer of chapter 17. And how does it all begin? It begins with the words, Let not your hearts be troubled. Just like the Lord saying, Fear ye not. And then he spoke about the coming comforter. He says, Another comforter that will I give you. Now the Lord himself, Jesus Christ our Lord, had brought great comfort to the hearts of his people. But now that he's going to the cross and he's going to ascend up on high, he assures them that he's going to send another comforter, even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost himself. And some of you will be aware that the word for comforter that is mentioned there in John 14, 16, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 16, 7, is the word parakletos. And it literally means one who draws alongside in order to help. One who comes right alongside us with the view of helping us and of strengthening us, comforting us. The Spirit of God is a great comforter. And so many, many times God's people need comfort. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said to him, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. He said that at the beginning of Isaiah 40. And if you read Isaiah 40, 41, 42, and 43, there are so, so many promises there that comfort our hearts. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. My spirit, God says through Haggai, remaineth among you. Now friends, these people were not what they ought to have been. They were not even where they should have been. They were not doing the things that they ought to have been doing. But God comforts them and says, I haven't taken away my spirit from you. In spite of your faults and failings, my spirit remains among you. Now, friends, God's work is hard, and there are many things to discourage. But, friends, the Comforter has come. The Comforter has come, the promised Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Roald Amundsen was a Norwegian explorer. He was the first man to reach the South Pole, arriving there a few weeks before Captain Scott and his team of men. Whenever they got there, they saw Mr. Munson had been there before, and there's a Norwegian flag was flying. And sometimes whenever that explorer ruled, Munson would have left his wife and family in Norway and maybe gone off to explore some Siberian wasteland or travel and scale the top of some great mountain, he would have taken a dove or a homing pigeon with him. And whenever he arrived at his destination, 
Maybe arriving at the mountain peak, he'd open up his little wicker basket and he would send that dove, that pigeon, back home. And whenever his bride, his wife, saw it, she knew my husband is alive and well because there's the dove to prove it. And that's, dear friends, what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. He's left this scene of time and ascended up on high. But he's given the Spirit of God, the blessed dove, the comforter, sent that dove, the Spirit of God, to the church to show that he's still working, still moving, and still reading. My Spirit remaineth among you. What comfort. You've got the command of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord, the company of the Lord. Verse 6 and 7, you've got the coming of the Lord. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and then I will fill this house with my glory, saith the Lord of hosts. What a promise. God says, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I am going to shake the very nations. Just as there was a stirring in chapter 1, verse 14, now there's a shaking in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I believe that these words speak to us about the visitation of the Lord. Whenever God comes amongst a people, there's oftentimes a shaking. Revival is the visitation of God amongst his people. And whenever God visits his people, there's oftentimes a shaking. Takes away the despondency. Shakes up our lethargy. Maybe we've got very despondent and very stagnant. God comes and there's a shaking. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Remember the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, that great prophecy of the valley of dry bones. And as Ezekiel prophesied, and as the wind of God, the Spirit of God began to breathe and blow, the Bible says there was a shaking, and the bones came together. And it's a picture of revival. Revival is God coming and shaking his people. God says, I will shake the nations and I will shake the land. It's God's work. Cannot be fueled by social media or spurious methods. And do we not need a shaking in this day and generation? The shaking speaks of visitation. I believe as well it speaks of incarnation. Verse number seven, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. That title, the desire of all nations, is often used as a title for the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah himself. Charles Wesley's great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, records in one of the verses, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. And whenever Jesus Christ came into this world, he was the great desire of nations. And truly the coming of Christ into this lost and broken world of ours was truly a shaking of the nations. And many nations even today are being shaken with the power of God and the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. And then I believe that this coming of the Lord not only speaks of visitation and revival or the incarnation of the Lord, but also of his great revelation from heaven. You can't read verses like this 
Yet a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. It surely reminds us of the coming again of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, whenever he comes back again, there's going to be a great shaking. And the Bible says, those that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I wonder, are you ready? And are you living in anticipation of that great event, the coming of the Lord? Notice verse number 8. We've got there what you might call the capital of the Lord. I'm sure many of these people were thinking in practical terms. Well, the Lord promises that he's with us. He's promised to give us strength. But, you know, we cannot build the temple unless we've got resources in order to do so. We'll look at what the Lord says in verse 8. He speaks about the capital of the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. God has means to provide His people for all of their needs as they seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God says, all of these other things will I add unto you. King David said, I have been young, but now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Maybe you've got needs in your life things that you're worried about, especially in these days that we're living in. You say, how can I possibly make ends meet? Seek first the kingdom of God. Put God in his rightful place in your heart and life and home. And God says these other things. I will add on to you. He provides for the birds of the air. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And consider the lilies of the field. They toil and they spin not, and yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And he reminds his people, are you not much better or of more value than them? And God who feeds the ravens when they cry, will certainly not starve his people whenever they pray and seek him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And God has already given us his Son, the very best that he had to give. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And sometimes don't we worry And we get afraid and we get like the people in Haggai's day and we wonder how can we make ends meet. And God says, listen, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. I'll provide for your needs. Dr. Harry Ironside told the story, I'm sure, before. It was in Dallas Theological Seminary many, many years ago. They had a bill of some $10,000, which back in those days was an awful lot of money. And they didn't have it, and they were on the brink of closing the faculty down. And they met together for prayer. And Mr. Ironside stood to his feet, and he prayed, and he quoted a verse from the psalm. Psalm 50.10 says, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and every beast of the forest is thine. Lord, sell some of those cattle, and send us the money. 
And then a lady came in and she came in waving a check and a man had visited the faculty. He is a rancher from Texas and he had sold up his whole business and sold up his farm and sold up his cattle and was tithing the money to God's work. And whenever they opened up the check, it was more than enough to keep the doors open. Mr. Ironside was able to say, God has sold his cattle and he sent us some of the money. God is not short of capital. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. One last little thought. Time is gone. He thought about the command of the Lord. Be strong and work. The company of the Lord. I am with you, saith the Lord. The comfort of the Lord. My spirit remaineth among you. The coming of the Lord. Verses 6 and 7. The capital of the Lord. Verse number 8. Look at the covenant of the Lord in verse number 9. Here's God's great promise. His covenant promise. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. Many were complaining and lamenting according to verse number 3 that this second temple was nothing in comparison to the great temple that Solomon had built and had been destroyed. And what have we got now? It's like nothing in comparison. But God makes a covenant. He makes a promise. And he says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. How could God say that? What did he mean? Well, I believe that the desire of nations came. Do you remember whenever Jesus Christ was a little infant boy? Mary and Joseph, where did they bring him? They brought him to the temple. And they brought him into the presence of the priests and men like Simeon. And that little infant boy, that was the desire of nations. And then toward the end of the Lord's ministry, the Savior said in Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 55, before going to Calvary to die for his sins, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hand upon me. The Lord whom ye seek shall come suddenly to his temple, and that temple that was being built, as we read in the book of Haggai, was the very temple that the Son of God would be presented in as a, a little boy about to commence this great work of redemption. It was the temple where he opened the Word of God and preached to the people. And it was the very temple when the Son of God was on the cross shedding his blood for our sins that that great veil of the temple was rent in twain. And the way was opened back to God from the dark paths of sin. And it was the presence of the Savior himself that made the temple so glorious. And beloved, is that not what we long for in our day and generation? That the Son of God himself will fill the temple, his people if you like. We are a spiritual temple a royal priesthood and holy city, that the Lord would dwell in the midst of his people, that the Lord would reveal his glory, that the Lord would speak to hearts, that the Lord would save souls, and that this physical building would be a place where the Lord dwells, but more than that, that he would dwell in the very midst of his people. Don't we long for that in this day and generation? God is assuring the people through Haggai the prophet that the best is yet to be. The best is still to come. Haven't finished with you yet. Yes, there's been 70 long years of captivity. The work of God is ground to a halt. 
Many are pessimistic and discouraged and procrastinating and looking at things and thinking, where's God in all of this? But God says, you be strong. Build. My Spirit remains among you. There's going to come a day whenever I'll fill this house with my glory. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, once said, I had fainted. I was just going to give up, threw in the towel. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He was holding out hope for a better day. What an encouragement God gives today to all of his people through this little prophecy of Haggai. Be strong and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts.